This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. We're listening to Pat O'Keefe. So for the Mets, it's more of the same. You know, they split the series. It was a nice night last night, a nice night for Pete Alonso. But at the end of this two-game series in the Bronx, they are exactly where they were at the beginning of this two-game series. And you could say the same for the Yankees. But again, the Yankees at least got another step closer to the return of Aaron Judge, which seems like it might be really close. And they continue to not bury themselves. If that's the silver lining now that we're talking about for a team with a second-highest payroll in Major League Baseball, well, welcome to New York Baseball in 2023. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. It's a depressing thing, isn't it? New York baseball in 2023. I mean, these two games in the Bronx were kind of like two mediocre, over-the-hill, mid-30s boxers looking for one final paycheck and throwing, like, you know, fake haymakers at each other. You know, last night the Mets got a couple of shots in. Tonight it was the Yankees' turn. I mean, seriously, seriously, this is what we got. The two highest payrolls in baseball, and this is what we got. We got six games above 500 and seven games below 500. Collectively, they're losers. They're a losing team if you combine the record of the two. It's fitting that they split this series and that they split the two games at City Field earlier this season. All right, 1-800-919-3776. A lot of football to get to. First, let me go back to the phones and check in with Buddha in the Bronx. Buddha, what's happening, man? Hey, what's going on, Pat? Always good to chat. You too. You know, um, first thing, when Papa Large, you know, I call Spice Papa Large, that's my nickname for him. He was talking to you about Johnny Most, you know, as a homer. Uh, Papa Large, I'll raise you, uh, your, your, I see you, Johnny Most, and I'll raise you a uh, Tom Heinsohn. Tommy I mean, Heinsohn. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you want to talk about a homer. Yo, he was the worst. He used to be saying we and us on CBS broadcast. That was the thing. That, that's the crazy thing, Buddha. That Tommy Heinsohn not only was the Celtics broadcaster, he was the national broadcaster, and the Celtics were in the finals in the 80s every single year. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it was – you know, um, even in, on, on the play on Rambis, <laughs> I remember him saying it was a good foul. <laughs> oh, when um, <laughs> when, when McHale clotheslined him? Oh my God! He said it was a good hard foul. <laughs> that was a good that was a good attempt at murder. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the you know, days. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. You know, the Mets and the Yankees split, as you said, because listen, they both suck. You know, it, it is what it is, and um. All this stuff about let them make it to the third wild card. I mean, anybody who thinks that Stanton is going to have a resurgence, have you seen him run? Have you seen him move? I mean, he's his body is broken down to the point where I don't even think the back speed can come back around. Uh, and you guys were talking about DJ. Listen, the injury that he had, a core injury, when you're over 32 years old, that injury, you don't come back from that. Just look at Donovan McNabb. Once he had that core injury, he was never the same. And just think of what the definition of core is. It's the center. It's the base of all of your strength, your arms, your legs, your shoulders. I mean, that's not going to – nothing's going to happen there with them where they're going to – I mean, they make it to the wild card. That's just how – and Brian's saving face. If any fan who has any kind of common sense knows that there's no benefit to them really getting there this year. You know, and, and I'm listening to Robbie, and Robbie's very astute, and he knows his stuff, and he's very passionate about the Yankees. I would just push back on him on two things he's talking about, and it's about Boone. 
And it's not me saying that Boone is any type of a good manager. But do you really think that Boone is the one who's picking this lineup? I mean, they've told you he's not. And when they replace him, the guy that they replace him with is not going to be picking the lineup. So, I mean, you know, we're stuck in limbo with, with the way that they're trying to run this team. You know, there's, there's a lot of money invested in Judge. To me, it makes absolutely no sense for you to do this pain tolerance thing with him with an injury that is going to require surgery. It makes no sense. Let the man get the surgery now so he can heal faster for next year. They're just doing – they're all over the place. And like I said, they're doing this stuff to save face, just like that firing the hidden coach. Like, do they think that we're stupid or something? What does firing the hidden coach have to do with the talent not being where it needs to be on the team? It's just very frustrating. And in a lot of ways, I've insulated myself, Pat. You know, I didn't really come into this season with a lot of expectations. So, you know, I'm not down in the dumps. I kind of been resigned to it is what it is with these guys. You know, in the back of my mind, there's a little glimmer of hope that let's say if they don't make the wild card, finish last in the division, that the backlash from the papers and the fans will be so much that it will be the impetus for how to make, like, changes that include, like, Brian Cashman maybe doing another job or something like that. Until that happens, this is just going to be status quo. This is status quo now, Buddha. Thanks for the call. And, and look, I don't know if that's going to happen, man. Um, there was backlash last year, and I know they got to the ALCS, but the way they lost and bowed out to the Astros was so ugly. And if you actually go through that series game by game, it wasn't that ugly. Game one, they could have won. In Houston. Game two, they could have won in Houston. But the Astros, you know, in the close games, down the stretch of games, you just have confidence that the Astros as a team are going to come through. And you haven't had that kind of confidence in the Yankees in a very, very long time. And then game three at Yankee Stadium was close until Judge and Bader let a fly ball that would have ended the inning fall in between them. And after that, Cole gave up a home run. And that was it for game three. And then game four was a wild game. The Yankees actually showed some fight in that game. Took a couple of leads, but again, couldn't hold on. And that was the end of their season. But people were aggrieved that Aaron Boone was given a contract extension or a new contract after last season. Same with Brian Cashman. So I don't know. If the Yankees finish in last place in the American League East, I I don't know that there's going to be changes. Because they're both under contract now. And look at the way – I know the Yankees spend money. You can't say that they don't because they have the second-highest payroll in baseball. But Hal Steinbrenner, he doesn't want to spend money and pay two people to do one job. You know, he doesn't want to have to pay Aaron Boone and then pay another manager to manage the team if he moves on from Aaron Boone. I would agree with Buda on the Boone lineup thing, though. I think, and, and that's always been the biggest question since the Yankees hired Aaron Boone, and this is year number six, certain decisions, how much of it is Boone, how much of it is the front office and Cashman, and, and how much of it is split. I would say that there's a good amount of collaboration that goes on. I, I would imagine the easiest thing to collaborate on is the lineup every night because that's done well in advance of the first pitch. Now, the in-game decisions, bullpen, um, strategy, stuff like that in-game, that's Boone. I, there, I don't think that th- there's too many hoops to jump through, you know, 
I don't think Boone's got a direct line to Brian Cashman up in the box in the suite telling Boone what to do on each and every play. I think once the game starts, which bullpen, which which reliever to bring in, who to get up, when to take the starting pitcher out, I think most of that is Aaron Boone. But I don't think Boone is the only person making this Yankees lineup. Not at all. All right, let's switch uh, gears a little bit as the Jets have wrapped up their first full week of training camp. And the big news is that Aaron Rodgers has agreed to restructure his contract, which is a significant development on a number of fronts. Uh, and, you know, First and foremost, it's a $33 million pay cut. He agreed to a two-year, fully guaranteed $75 million contract with the Jets. Uh, he had a $108 million contract guaranteed from Green Bay when he was traded to the Jets, and he's left $33 million on the table to help the team put more talent around him, which I understand you're going to say that Aaron Rodgers has made so much money and uh, more than he could ever want, and that is true. But it's still, especially for an all-time great who's now playing for a team that he has never played for before, a $33.7 million pay cut is an incredible gesture for somebody like Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it really does show his commitment to this new team. And what it does now for the Jets, this significantly lessens the pressure that it's Super Bowl or bust this year because it's clear now that Rodgers is going to be here for at least two years, which I always thought he would. And when he was on with DPH on Rothenberg on Friday when they were out there at Jets training camp, he pretty much said that that was going to be the case. But you never actually know. I mean, you talk about put your money where your mouth is. Well, that's what happened here today. It's a two-year contract with $75 million guaranteed. He's already left $33 million on the table. All right, he's not going to leave another $37, $38 million on the table. So what that can do is that can allow the Jets to at least, this is still not a long-term plan. You know, in the NFL, there is no such thing as a long-term plan. The lifespan of a player's career is so short. You get to the end of a contract and extension eligible so quickly now. So there's no long-term plan, but at least it doesn't have to be all your eggs in one basket for this year, and if you don't win the Super Bowl this year and Rodgers leaves, it's a colossal disaster. That possibility has kind of been taken away by this. So it, it lessens the pressure on the Jets. So now they can build something. You know, now you can make progress. Now if you get to, well, you have to get to the playoffs this year. That doesn't change. You've got to be a playoff team this year. But now you can get to maybe the divisional round, and lose. I mean, we've gone through, and everybody's gone through, not only the teams, but the quarterbacks that the Jets would have to face in the AFC playoffs, whether it's a Josh Allen or a Tuatunga Vailoa or the newly paid Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So you, if you get to the divisional round, you get past the wild card round, you're going to have to face one of those teams. So you lose a hard-fought game to one of those teams, it's not the end of the world. And what Rodgers has now done was he's given the Jets more financial flexibility to be able to try to continue to build towards their goal of winning a Super Bowl. It just doesn't have to happen 
this year. You know, Rodgers came here, played well, got the Jets to the playoffs, but they lost in the wild card. And for some reason, he decided that, you know, he's 40 years old now. He's had a great career. He's going to move on. If, if that was the case, then that would have left the Jets in a very, very tough spot. Now it seems like they're not going to have to deal with that possibility. ESPN's Rich Samini, Jets beat reporter, was on earlier tonight with Larry Hardesty and spoke about Rodgers' new reworked deal. He obviously was not going to play this year for the veterans minimum, which is what he had been on the books for for the last three months since the trade happened. I knew he was going to take a pay cut, a pay reduction to help out the team. I had no idea he would take this much. Essentially, he's leaving about $35 million of guaranteed money on the table, which is, I don't know, it might be unprecedented in team sports. I don't know if an individual athlete has ever taken that much of a pay cut. It's uh, uh, it's pretty massive. So it, it, it amounts to a three-year, $75 million contract. It's all guaranteed. It's way below market value, clearly. And he's doing the team a big favor here. He gives them a lot of financial flexibility. With everything that you've heard of and observed Aaron Rodgers to be throughout his career, and the, you know, the NFL is different than other sports because there really is no local market. There is no small market. You know, Shohei Otani, who, by the way, has now officially been taken off the trade market by the L.A. Angels. Shohei Otani, the most talented player in the game, the most unique player in the game, arguably the biggest star in Major League Baseball. He's pretty beneath the radar because he plays on the West Coast. He doesn't even play for the marquee team in his own market. His games are on late at night. And, you know, if Shohei Otani was doing the things that he does in another sport like football or basketball he'd be one of the biggest stars on the planet but because it's baseball and you know baseball is still very market driven and I know it's Los Angeles but it's not it's Anaheim and it's the second team in town and the time difference really works against him so Otani's not as big a star as somebody of his talent or skill level could be Aaron Rodgers, despite playing in Green Bay for the last 15 years, has been one of the absolute biggest stars in the NFL. So Aaron Rodgers making this move, this potentially unprecedented move of taking a $33 million pay cut and leaving all of that money on the table, is just the latest example that almost everything that this guy has done since coming to New York has been right on the money. What he said, the way he's interacted with his teammates, what he has said to the media, it's really, it's getting to the point, at first, you know, take his introductory press conference. It was what I expected. It was pretty vanilla. He said all the right things. He's a smart guy. He's been in front of a microphone his entire career. I didn't expect him to get up on the stage in Florham Park and trip all over himself. All right, but everything that he has done, and this is the most, you know, th those are words. This is action. I mean, this is a significant move. I mean, think about what that means in the locker room as this guy continues to ingratiate himself to his new teammates. They're already in awe of him. He's one of the greatest players of all time at the most important position on the field. Hands down. 
all these young players, even older players, these guys that have never been around him, they're in awe of him. How can you not be when somebody like that comes to your team, comes into your locker room for the first time? But now he does something like this? I mean, that's going to make his offensive linemen want to run through a wall for this guy. Just the statement that was. And I understand, look, we've been talking a lot about money lately with the Saquon Barkley situation, and it's odd, right? It's part of this business and what we do to talk about, um, you know, the money that these guys are making like it's not, you know, silly money to most of society, but it is what it is. And I know that Aaron Rodgers has made a ton of money, but this is also a ton of money that he's leaving on the table. And nobody has done that. Nobody does that. You know, Tom Brady to a certain extent did it, but, you know, he was in a different situation where he made all this money off the field and his wife made more money than he did anyway through her modeling career and all of that stuff. So he was in a much better position to do that. This is a significant move and the latest, you know, by Aaron Rodgers really continuing to show that he's the leader of this team. And I applaud him for it. 1-800-919-3776. We'll get back to your calls and, uh, We'll touch a little bit on the Saquon Barkley situation as well as we continue here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Collectively, they're losers. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. I want to get to a couple more things from Rich Samini earlier today with Larry Hardesty. You know, one of the other storylines from training camp is Mekhi Becton. Now, will he eventually play? Um, and if he does, where is he going to play? As uh, we're now into year four for Becton, the offensive lineman out of Louisville. Uh, Samini doesn't see Becton as a starting left tackle. I do not believe he will be a starter this year to start the year. Dwayne Brown is going to be the left tackle. You know, that's all there is to it. Dwayne Brown's going to be clear for practice soon, and he's going to be out there, and he's going to be the left tackle. And if I had to bet right now, I would say Max Mitchell's probably the right tackle, and Billy Turner is going to be your swing backup tackle. Uh, Mackay, they're saying it's day-to-day. He lost a lot of weight. I give him credit for that. He really busted his rear end to get into shape to come into camp. And, you know, he's rusty. He hasn't played football in two years, so he's not going to go out there and play like he did as a rookie. A gradual process, and it starts with staying healthy. Gradually, they can build up his rep, you know, on a day-to-day basis. His knee's still bothering him. Becton still hasn't taken a full complement of reps at training camp. Didn't do that today. Um, More from Samini. Obviously, Dalvin Cook is a name that we have heard mentioned as, uh, you know, he's one of several high-profile running backs that are free agents and and we have certainly dissected the running back financial situation this NFL offseason. But Brees Hall's status, his return date, uh, still up in the air. Jets are, look, they're going for it now. This is, as we know, a win-now team. So what is the case for the Jets signing Dalvin Cook? Dalvin Cook's a proven guy. I think his performance has dropped the last couple of years. You look at the numbers, he hasn't been the same running back. He has been uh, three or four years ago, but he's still a competent runner. He's got that shoulder injury. You know, he had shoulder surgery in the offseason. I'm told that he's okay now. We'll see. And uh, I would not be surprised if the Jets, you know, I know that for a fact they've been monitoring this situation. It wouldn't surprise me if they escalate talks a little bit here in the next few days. That's a good stuff there. 
from ESPN's Rich Samini, the New York Jets beat reporter. Remember, the Jets' first preseason game will be a week from a week from tomorrow, right here on 98.7 ESPN New York, the Hall of Fame game against the Cleveland Browns. And uh, Samini also mentioned with Larry that he does not expect to see Zach Wilson play in that game. Aaron Rodgers is already not going to play in that game. So what do we got? We got a little Chris Strevler, Joe and Harvey. Is that what we're looking at next Thursday? Starting? Is he is he QB1 next Thursday? The most uh, highly anticipated Jets season in, well, ever, right? And, well, and, and don't forget Tim Boyle. Tim Boyle, Rodgers' boy, right? His drinking buddy coming off the bench. Backup QB2. Are they going to put that like on the lower third when, when they introduce him on NBC <laughs> and all that? Look at you with your inside TV talk, the <laughs> lower third. Come on, Harvey. You got to speak to the common people here. Uh, let's go back to the phones. L. Graphics. Hey, thank you. L in New Jersey. What's up, bud? Can you hear me good? I got you. How you doing? I'm living a dream, man. I mean, I didn't hit the lottery, but you know what? We still got to keep moving forward, man. So uh, I, I originally called up because I wanted to make a point about the Yankees, but real quick for the Jets. Listen, I'm a Raiders fan, born and raised in Jersey, so I know what it is to have that proverbial, you know, circle at quarterbacks. And I'm so happy for the Jets. I really hope that Rodgers really he's saying all the right things, and, and I hope it all works out for him. You know, if they play the Raiders, I hope they lose. But I'm rooted for the Jets, like I said, kid from Jersey. But um, – Back to my quick Yankees point, and just to hear your your thoughts on it. With the Yankees, listen, there's zero, zero accountability. Zero accountability from the top to the bottom. I mean, I remember Gary Sheffield talking about walking into the locker room saying, hey, I'm here for one or two runs, and telling everybody else, what do you got? What do you got? And that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening now. And – I, I, it's just so hard for me to understand or believe that with Judge out of the lineup, everybody else just falls totally apart. And, you know, I, I, someone has to walk into that locker room and say, hey, this is what needs to happen. And to me, as a Yankee fan, that it hurts my heart. There's no one there, man. So what are your thoughts? Great show. Keep listening to you. Give your thoughts on that. Well, thanks for the call, and I appreciate it. I, I I agree with a lot of what you said. There is no accountability or not a lot of accountability, starting at the top. I remember, you know, when Hal Steinbrenner earlier this season said he's confused by the reaction of Yankee fans to this team. Really? You are? I mean, this team is not fun to watch. It's underachieving, and their best player has gotten injured, and the offense has completely cratered. So who's supposed to, you know, like what's going on here? There has been a certain standard set by the Yankees, and they've talked about it themselves. Cashman has said it ad nauseum. It's championship or bust. So when you go out and you're six games above 500 as they are now, and you're not sniffing a championship, then, yeah, people are going to be upset with that, and they have a right to be upset with that. But the difference between, you know, the callers talking about the Sheffield days, that was a different team. It was an all-star at every single position. And the thing about this team is, and this is what's scary that Yankee fans have to remember. All right? Aaron Judge is going to come back. But 
DJ LeMay, who was already in the process of becoming what we have seen him be this year. Same thing for Giancarlo Stanton. Same thing for Anthony Rizzo. You have to prepare yourself for the, when Judge comes back, whether it's Friday, whether it's Sunday, whether it's early next week, whenever he comes back, those guys aren't going to just like flip a switch. This is who those guys are, by and large, at this point in their careers. And this is who they're going to be later this year. This is who they're going to be next year when Stanton is still under contract, when DJ LeMahieu is still under contract. They're not going to get better. You know, it's not like, you know, you're going to get to the end of this Yankee season and be like, ah, oh, this is a rough season. We'll regroup and guys will play up to their expectations next year and everything will be fine. That's not going to happen. This franchise, franchise, team, roster, franchise, franchise needs a complete overhaul, a complete overhaul. The structure, the infrastructure of this Yankees team is not sound, and it hasn't been for quite some time. Now, they've been doing it with money. They've been masking it with money. You know, you pay top dollar for Garrett Cole, and he's been worth that contract, couple slip-ups in the postseason, one memorable one in a wild-card game in Boston. But what were the Yankees going to do in 2021 anyway? Yeah, you can mask it with Cole. You can, you've can hit the lot, you hit the lottery with Aaron Judge. You know, you made him sing for his supper in 2017. He was not even put on the 25-man opening day roster until the last day of spring training. And then he goes out and hits 52 home runs. So you didn't really evaluate his talent that accurately then. And look what he's turned out to. And then you had to pay him to keep him around. So you're able to, you know, Stanton up until this year when healthy has been at least productive and he's been very productive in the postseason. So you're able to mask a lot of your deficiencies with money. But that only goes a certain point. And now the money that you spent lately is looking like bad money. Stanton. He's got five years left on that contract at like 32 to $35 million a pop. DJ LeMahieu, everybody was in favor of signing him when he became a free agent two years ago, including myself, and almost immediately his body started to betray him and he turned into a different player. So now you're starting to, you, you know, on the paper you could say, well, we spent the money, we've invested the money, but has it been spent wisely? Has it been invested wisely? No. Even Judge, you know, you had to pay Judge, but you were backed into a corner. Can you imagine if you didn't pay Judge? But now what you had to do is you you have another contract there, and this is way down the road, but that's a contract that's not going to age well. How do you think it's going to age well, right? He makes $40 million a year for nine more years. He's going to make $40 million when he's 39 years old. He's already missed half the year in year one. What is that contract going to look like in seven years? But you had to do it, and that is the position that the Yankees have put themselves in. All right, some thoughts on Saquon Barkley and the aftermath of him signing his one-year contract with the Giants and more of your calls on the Yankees' 3-1 Subway Series victory over the Mets coming up here on 98.7 ESPN New York. His drinking buddy coming off the bench. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. My producers always have their fingers on the pulse. Joe Leo, noted Yankee fan. Yankee game tonight. Rodon's performance 
much ado about nothing, or did you find anything positive to come out of that? Leaning much to do about nothing. Happy for him. Good to get the first W in the scorecard. Yeah. But I want to see just a little bit more. I know 93 pitches, the fourth start of the year, but I want to see him at least go six. And stuff just – I thought his stuff was probably a B plus. Can we get – I would love to see A, A plus Rodon. Well, next start will be will be interesting. It's not going to be against the um, – it's not going to be against the Orioles. It'll be against Tampa back at the stadium next week. So they're they're all – they got a nice stretch here against high quality opponents. Tampa, uh, uh, excuse me, Baltimore, Tampa Bay, uh, Houston going forward. All right, uh, real quick, Harvey, our, our resident soccer expert. So the U.S. draws 1 1 with the Netherlands in the Women's World Cup. So now we've got a win over Vietnam and we've got this draw. So where does that put them? Are you, are you surprised at this result, Harvey? No, because A, this was their toughest matchup against the Netherlands, who were who had a bit of a chip on their shoulder because of the 2019 World Cup final where they lost to the USA. So it's a good result for both teams. And they're on they're both on four points. So essentially, if Portugal and Vietnam draw, then the US and Netherlands are are, are in the into the next round and they just have to settle for who's in first place and who's in second place. The thing that gets me is that only one sub used by the US the entire game, which is a bit baffling, because sitting there, you guys, you have guys, guys, you have ladies, excuse me, like Lynn Williams, Megan Rapino, Alyssa Thompson on the bench, and you didn't decide to use any of them. You brought in Rose Laville, which is always a good move, but still, one sub in a game like this where you could have had um, the win there and put all um, doubt that you'll be making the next round in first place. It's a curious move. All right. So, well, they had one. The U.S. women had won 17 straight World Cup matches without trailing, so that streak came to an end. Um, they had to come from behind here, too, as the Netherlands scored in the first half. The U.S. scored in the 62nd minute on a header to uh, earn that 1-1 result. So there you go. So the U.S. will play Portugal then in their final game, right? And, yes. Uh, if Now, if Portugal beats Vietnam, the U.S. has to be Portugal, right? Yes, because uh, Portugal would be on three points. Yeah, and they and if Portugal's on three points, they essentially have to beat. Well, I guess they could draw Portugal if Portugal's on three and the U.S. is on four. Yeah, they could. They can get by. Um, right. But you don't want to do that. Yeah, if the Netherlands don't beat Vietnam, but still, yeah, they're in good shape. All right, uh, are the Yankees in good shape? We don't know. Let's go back to the phones. Let's talk to George in Pearl River. George, what's up? All right, what's uh, what's next? Uh, Women's basketball? Maybe. But you don't uh, like you, you don't like women's sports, George? It's the World Cup. I love women's sports. Are you there kidding? We go. <laughs> All right. Let's let's yeah, are you let, kidding? let's circle it back to the Yankees here, George. Yeah. Anyway, what's up there, my man? Uh first of all, let me ask you something. Do you have a little you have like do you have a little Bronx in you? I got a little Bronx in me. All right, that's why I kinda detected that. Okay. Um the Yankees uh, listen, there's windows closing. Uh, and I'm talking about prime years now. Let's if Jared Cole, when this is closing on him, he's going to be 33 this year. Uh, Judge is getting up there. He's in his 30 now. I think they should go all out for Otani. 
go all out for him and try to shake him out of Angels just to get him, you know, maybe for two months. That might be it. Who knows who's going to sign him? You know, I also figure where he wants to live is going to be a factor, too, not only the highest amount of money. But the Yankees should do it because the window, the prime years are their two top pitcher and and hitter is is closing on them. You want to put out the best team. I mean, Otani, Cole, one, two, uh, two, three in the lineup with uh, Judge and Otani in the playoffs. That sounds good to me. I, I don't want. You know, I don't want to hear anything about they spend a lot of money because if you want to tell me, I could tell people. Listen, the Stanton trade was was a mistake, of course. But I would have said, listen. Uh, you know, Bryce Harp is coming up. I want to sign him. They could have had Trey Turner with this thing with the shortstops. Oh, we got to wait. We got to wait. They Three years, they had a, a non-shortstop playing a major league shortstop for the Yankees, for the New York Yankees. So this team, the, the ownership is not really that serious. They have enough money where they can patch things up, but they're, not just, they're just not doing it right. And I'm giving them advice now. The window's closing on Cole. It's closing on Judge with their prime years. Get Otani here, Otani here for the playoffs, and maybe they'll take that ride down Broadway. What do you think, my man? George, thanks for the call. It's um, I don't know if you saw the story today, but uh, on ESPN. Now, first of all, before I say this part of it, I, I do agree that the window for the likes of Cole and Aaron Judge, those windows are not going to be open forever. So I do acknowledge and agree with that point. It's an important one. Uh, ESPN Sports Illustrated reporting that Shohei Otani has now been taken off the trade block. Uh, the Angels will not trade Otani before Tuesday's deadline. I was always more in favor of Juan Soto. I think he could be gotten for less than Otani, both in terms of prospects before the trade deadline and then what you would need to sign him for a long-term contract. He's also younger because he doesn't have the pitching part of it uh he's less injury prone and then Otani only plays designated hitter when he's going to be in your lineup and I don't know if you watched the Yankee game today but Giancarlo Stanton going after a fly ball in right field is a wild wild scene man it's scary he looks like he's going to topple over he's so top heavy unsure on his feet so if you have Otani as your designated hitter then you're going to have Stanton in the outfield because you're not getting rid of Stanton. Nobody's going to take that contract. So that almost kind of eliminates the Stanton, the Stanton trade. And I'm going to go through this in one of our shows this week, maybe tomorrow. The Stanton trade in so many ways was kind of the tipping point for this Yankees franchise when they traded for him in the offseason before 2018. I just really think that Brian Cashman was enamored with – what he had to give up for Stanton, which was basically Starlin Castro and a couple of minor leaguers. And the Marlins were going to eat a good chunk of Stanton's money, or at least a decent chunk of Stanton's money. And he was coming off a 59 home run season. It was the National League MVP. But the chain of events that that acquisition has set off, and a lot of it isn't Stanton's fault himself. I mean, Stanton's been, he's been pretty good. But for what you're paying him, and I say this all the time in the context of Scherzer and Verlander, and Stanton's right there. These guys ain't getting paid to be pretty good, right? These guys are getting paid to be superb, and Stanton has been anything but that, especially considering how often he's been hurt. All right, we'll get to the Saquon uh, update as the Giants are now fully in training camp. Uh, that's next here on 98.7 ESPN New York. 
This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. All right, we're going to finish with a little bit of breaking news that impacts the Yankees and impacts the pennant race in the American League. I'm going to be here uh, tomorrow night, Friday night as well from 10 to midnight. We'll do a lot of football tomorrow. Both the Yankees and the Mets have the night off. I'm going to get into uh, some thoughts on Saquon Barkley in the afternoon. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't to, wait. Uh, thank you, Bart. Him agreeing to his uh, his one-year contract with the with the New York football giants. But here we go. Breaking news. Jeff Passan reporting that, uh, and we just had the caller saying that the um, that the Yankees should try to trade for um, Shohei Otani. Well, Otani's not going anywhere. The Angels have just traded for Lucas Giolito. Also, Reliever Reynaldo Lopez are coming over. All the bells and whistles at the end of the show tonight. They're coming over from the Chicago White Sox. So Giolito uh, joins Otani in the rotation for the Angels. Otani is last year of his look. They decided they wanted to go for it once with this guy, and I, I I had a feeling that this is where this was headed the whole time. Anyway, if you get Trout back healthy for the stretch run, uh, they've started to play much better. If you look at the standings, the Angels are 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. So we talk a lot about the Yankees trying to chase the Red Sox and then the three teams that are in the wild card spots right now, Tampa, Houston, and Toronto. And then you got Boston and the Yankees. We really haven't been talking about what's behind the Yankees because the Angels, after a pretty decent start, had fallen off as they are prone to do. But now they've played better. They're back above 500. They're 52-49. and 49. And they are four games behind Toronto for the final wild card spot in the uh, in the American League. That's the team. That's the team that you can imagine if they get into the postseason. That's the team that you're not going to want to face. Because in a two out of three wild card series, you throw Otani in game one and now Giolito in game number two. That's pretty good. That's a dangerous opponent with the lineup that they could run out there if they're all healthy. And I said this to the guys before the show. Harvey and Joe, I think the Angels should really look at going after Justin Verlander. At this point, if you're the Angels, you have spent so much money. Otani is likely leaving. He's probably going to the other team in your market, the big team in your market after this season. And he's been, you know, he's been an unbelievable story and an unbelievable show. But you have absolutely nothing in terms of winning to show for his tenure, which is almost over now. You've already invested so much money during this time. And not really on Otani. Uh, he's making $30 million this year. You had to pay the posting fee to get him over here. But outside of that, his annual salaries haven't been that much. But you're paying Trout. You're paying Anthony Rendon. Um, the payroll for the Angels is massive. You have spent so much money on this team that hasn't come close to winning. Now this is the closest, latest in the season that you have been to contention. You've got to kind of put, and this is the first step, I think, in putting their chips in the middle of the table, but that's the kind of team that's going to take to take Justin Verlander off the Mets' hands. And I don't know that the Mets want to get rid of Justin Verlander, but I'll tell you one thing. From what I've seen of Verlander over the last month and a half, his most recent start last night at Yankee Stadium, that is a guy who I want at the top of my rotation for the final two months of the season. He's getting better. He's pitching as well now as he has all last year. So, and we, we know everything else about Verlander. The big games, the playoffs, the World Series appearances, 
if there's a team that won't look and he's making 43 million dollars yes i know but we're two-thirds of the way through the season so he's really making 15 million dollars the rest of the way that's the guy to go after so now that's another not only do the yankees and i don't think they were ever going to be serious players in trading for otani uh but now he's off the table now he's staying in Los Angeles, and now the Yankees have to worry about beating Otani. So their task to just to get into the playoffs just got a lot more difficult because you not only have to pass the Red Sox and catch the Blue Jays, but now you got to hold off the Angels, just strengthen their starting rotation with Giolito and their bullpen with Lopez, and they're only a game and a half behind the Yankees. All right, Harvey and Joe, great job producing. A lot of callers tonight in the aftermath of the Yankees' Subway Series win tonight over the Mets. Thanks to you. Great job. I'll be back right here tomorrow at 10 p.m. Have a great night, everyone. I love women's sports. Are you there kidding?